thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And this week, we do not have the beautiful Karen with us, but I would love to say that we're very privileged to have an extraordinary Australian with us who has been uh, probably seen as a leader in her field, maybe even a trailblazer. And I would definitely say certainly someone at the forefront of this industry to Nicole Belsma, we are incredibly excited to have you. You're a naturopath and acupuncturist, a building biologist of 20 years, almost starting that whole industry. And right now, you're finishing in the finishing phases of your PhD for the wireless activity and brain function and what's going on in that whole world. My gosh, this topic could go on for days. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much, Kim. Nice to be here. And We are so proud to have you. And I can tell you, I just want to get stuck straight in because there are so many questions Cindy and I have for you, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly following on from conversations with people like Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, But I'd love to ask you, could you please give us a brief background as to who you are, what you've studied, how you ended up coming into being in the final stages of a PhD in wireless activity? Sure. Well, I worked as a naturopath and acupuncturist for 15 years. I graduated in 91 and I started to notice a really strong correlation between many of my patients with asthma, allergies and chronic fatigue syndrome with things like mould and electromagnetic fields in their home. Um, obviously, I had no idea about this because, you know, I just, my double qualification didn't cover environmental medicine as most of the time it still doesn't, unfortunately. And I lectured at university in Chinese medicine and fourth-year naturopathic students in nutrition for 12 years. Um, and it was really once I moved into our, once my husband and I moved into our home in Warrandyte, we didn't sleep very well within days of moving in and then I had 10 miscarriages and no one could help us. That we discovered that, well, I discovered that we were sleeping near the meter panel and my neighbour said no one had successfully had kids in this house and it really made me look at, we sleep near the meter panel, we're living on a T intersection, noxious gases, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide particulates were tripling in the bedroom once I started to buy all the equipment and I said to my husband, there's something wrong with the house. We need to locate to the back bedroom away from the teen section, away from the meter panel. And then I fell pregnant naturally with twins and the rest is history. Wow, it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? And when you actually start listening to the signs where so many of us would rather ignore it because we may love the house or we may love where we live or whatever, but it's not until you hit really, I guess, rock bottom. I mean, 10 miscarriages, Nicole, would certainly have you questioning it and then to have it confirmed by a person saying no one's had babies there. Can you tell us how you started to heal yourself or at least protect yourself within the home? What actionable steps did you take? Well, we just, I just said to my husband, we need to get to the back bedroom because the meter panel's here. There's geopathic stress under the, the bed. I had a GM answer in and there was a wasp nest near our bedroom, which is often a sign of geopathic stress. There's ivy, there's foxglove, there's all these particular trees that grow when there's geopathic stress on site. 
On top of that, the Victoria Parks, Victoria used to come in and, and spray our blackberry bushes as a favour with glyphosate. So it was just, we lived in this beautiful half an acre on the river. People would call it the B&B and there was something wrong. You couldn't see it, you couldn't smell it. And it just, I think the universe put me there to, to wake me up and realise that environmental medicine is probably the biggest piece of the pie that clinicians need to address with most chronic illnesses. So I really had to unravel it over a long period of time. I started buying equipment. I started looking at the research. There were at least five studies in that time that showed that miscarriages were increased with magnetic field exposures. And of course, the biggest source of magnetic field exposures in the home is the meter panel. So I said to my husband, we need to move to the back bedroom. He wasn't keen. So I said, sweetheart, you're never getting sex again. And then within 20 seconds, he's moving the bed to the back bedroom. <laughs> unpredictable. Unpredictable. <laughs> and the rest is history like you know we went everywhere to help with our miscarriages we didn't qualify for IVF because I got pregnant so easily we went to the recurrent miscarriage clinic went to hematologists and immunologists and um, there was a, an amazing guy who called Alan Beer in the US he was a gynecologist obstetrician who specialised in miscarriages and had a 90% success rate. And he, he said to me that the reason why I was miscarrying was because my something had triggered my immune system and it was attacking the fetus because it had marked cells in it. So it was interesting that all of this was, I was unravelling this because I didn't take no for an answer. No was not an option for me. So here I am treating patients. They're starting to educate me about what's going on in their home. And so I started to walk into their homes and, oh, my God, you know, every clinician needs to be trained to what to look for in a home because, you know, every home has its elephants. Some are little elephants and the risk is low and they're not going to cause adverse health effects. But the majority of people whose home we go into, there are herds of elephants running through their house that are so obvious the moment you walk in, then you go, I understand why you were sick. The visible mould, the clutter. You know, like last week I had a student, 10 students with me at an order in Sydney. And as I pulled the chair away from the dining room, there's cat vomit that's coming off it because they didn't notice that. It had been there God knows how long because the family don't sit at the dining table and it's the only communal area of the whole house. There's no living room. And there are four adults in this, two children, two sons and, and a couple. And there's dog poo on the floor that my students, I have to remind them to watch the dog poo on the floor. I mean, it's just phenomenal. If it's not that, there's an Avery in the kid's room who's got asthma. You know, there's carbon monoxide or gas coming out near a window where the kids are sick with headaches. The router is in their bedroom. I mean, these are actually far more common than I ever realised and this is it suddenly started to come to me over the last two decades that where we live has impacts on our health on such a high level that this is why I was so frustrated as a naturopath, not getting results by just changing people's diets. And let's face it, in today's day and age, like we've looked at things in the past where, you know, lead paints were a problem or there's been, um, you know, certain things that have been used in the home that are seen not safe. But now we're looking at new homes where we're making them airtight so that we don't have this thing, you know, losing our, I guess, our resources with heat or cooling a place. We also have problems around um, off-gassing, 
Um, and I just, could you talk us through a little bit around that? I mean, you've touched on it briefly with what was going on in your bedroom at your house, but what about new houses and the carpets and all the different things that are having problems on people? Yeah, so the first thing a building biologist will do is ask about the age of the home because every age has advantages and every age has disadvantages. So if we're looking at new builds in, in the past three years, if your house is less than three years old, the major triggers will be condensation and risk for mould. And the reason is because building uh, airtight plastic bag type of homes that don't think about how water vapour moves through the what we call the skin of the building or the building envelope has dramatic impacts on condensation and mould. So the building code, in fact, last week I was speaking at the Master Builders in New South Wales and I said, guys, you need to change the building code and Australian standards because it's not working. The amount of problems we are finding in new builds with condensation mould has escalated, which of course correlates with asthma and respiratory tract infections. Because it, the building code doesn't require or even think about how water vapour created from every occupant in that building, from their breathing, the um, showering, the bathing, the laundry, the dishes, the amount of water vapour, there's about 10 litres per person per day of water vapour in that house. So if you've got five people, we have got 50 litres of water vapour in the air, that has to go somewhere. When it moves through the plasterboard, if it hits an impermeable waterproof membrane like your um, Tyvek uh, wraps and your house wraps that they use to create this energy efficiency, it condenses and then creates mould. And, of course, insulation is the perfect food for that. So suddenly in our first year, we're finding, you know, homes that are only in their first winter having significant condensation and mould-related issues. And if you're one in four people who can't create antibodies to mould, you, you can't live in that environment. One in four people, did you say? One in four people can't create anti um, antibodies to the antigens in a water damaged environment. So uh, what do we know about mould? What we know is that mould isn't the problem. And even though I call, I run the only government accredited mould testing course in Australia, I get tradies from all over, I've spoken at Master Builders, we, we submitted our submission as part of the parliamentary inquiry last year into water damaged buildings, and it really escalated our industry in building biology. But... What happens when you have moisture is that you allow microbes to grow. Fungi and mould is everywhere. It's meant to be everywhere. It's on every surface on you right now, in your home, etc. and it's not a problem, providing you don't give it food and providing you don't give it moisture. Now, given that every building material, every piece of clothing, etc., is its ideal food, the key to um, causing mould-related problems is moisture. So once you have moisture sitting on a surface for more than 48 hours, the microbes, bacteria, fungi, etc., that are sitting there already are going to start uh, producing chemicals to kill each other off to take over that site because fungi are nature's greatest decomposers. Now, in a water-damaged building, after 48 hours, these microbes are producing endotoxins and mycotoxins, and those chemicals, when you inhale them, can have significant impact on the central nervous system to the point that you could result in psychosis. These are chemicals. So when people, one in four people, can't create antibodies to mold, every time they walk into their water-damaged homes, it sets up inflammation, the first line of defence or what we call the innate immune response. So it sets up this inflammation and it's literally brain on fire. It knocks out key neuropeptides that are involved in sleep and circadian rhythm. So now they don't sleep well and melatonin, of course. Now they have infections all over their body because one of the key neuropeptides that the inflammation knocks out is 
melanocyte stimulating hormone and that means now they have weird infections they have high levels of candida and yeast in their body and the naturopaths rightfully say yep you've got candida but what the naturopath isn't trained or understands is that the candida is due to them inhaling the patients inhaling these biotoxins in a water damaged building that it's affecting their gut microbiome it's causing infections in the upper respiratory passages it's causing infections in their vagina and in their gut and now they're ravaged by these infections and end up being misdiagnosed as chronic fatigue syndrome or um, fibromyalgia or MS. God, I can't tell you how many patients I see with MS who it all started with dampness or a water event, a lot. Um, they've got MS, their daughter has chronic fatigue. It's all the same symptoms of what we would refer to as a biotoxins in a water-damaged building. Now, the problem was that 30 years ago, this escalated and it became the perfect storm I wrote a report for a large insurer along with my supervisor, Professor Mark Cohen, and unfortunately because they paid us that it's not available to the public. But in short, it looked at why mould has just escalated in Australia in the last three decades. And it happened because of three things. The first of those is that we replaced waterproof membranes from sheet-based membranes to liquid membranes. You and I can go to, Matt, to um, Bunnings and we can buy waterproof membranes that we paint on like paint. Now that is only lasts, believe it or not, seven to eight years. So what I'm saying is, unless you do a major bathroom reno every seven to eight years, those waterproof membranes will be compromised. And if you use things like uh, bleach or citrus-based essentials or eucalyptus oil in the grout, if it gets contact through the grout and gets into that waterproof membrane, you'll compromise it to two to three years. So within two to three years of a new bathroom reno, a new house, You've got moisture seeping through that shower into the wall cavity, creating a visible mould or creating a hidden mould-related problem. That was the first thing. 30 years ago, we replaced copper pipe because it was so expensive with flexible braided water hoses. Now, they're the things under your sink that, you know, you can flex it like they've got a steel braid and they're flexible and it's a lot less for the plumber to put it in because it takes a lot less time for him or her to put it in. But they are the number one cause of water events by insurance claims. Last year, insurance companies spent $320 million in claims due to um, the splitting of the flexible braid of water hoses. When you have these hoses, which all of us do, you cannot have any cleaning products or essentials in those cupboards because as they outgas those, those vapours, the volatiles, they can actually compromise the steel braid of the flexible braided water hose. So I've noticed now a lot of manufacturers, when you buy these hoses, say that the lifespan of the hoses is five years. So you should be replacing those flexible braided water hoses at least every five years because, of course, if it splits while you're on holidays or away for the weekend, if you don't mop that moisture within 48 hours, you've got a significant mould-related problem in the house that can be difficult to address. So that was the second thing. The third thing is we had deregulation of our tech schools about 30 years ago, and that's been a disaster for our trades. Uh, when I looked at and rang up um, the, the TAFEs that provide uh, certification on how to waterproof a, a shower or a house, it's a Cert 3 waterproof membranes, they all RPL'd it. They, were, they didn't have the resources to demonstrate to a tradesperson, an apprentice, how to actually apply waterproof membranes outside of the house exteriorly um, or below ground or even have it, a lot of them didn't even have, you know, internal like bathrooms. So 
they relied on their employer, a builder, to actually say, yep, they've got the experience to waterproof, so we'll just RP at recognition of prior learning. So they didn't even do any formal training. Now, the people who have come through my course, fortunately, have been the top waterproof membrane experts in Australia who are about to retire, and they spend all their time at the Supreme Court um, looking at waterproof, water ingression and water problems. And often this comes back to the waterproof membrane because it's only designed to last seven to eight years. And the application of the membranes wasn't done correctly. But, of course, the person who did it got an RPL again. So it's just, it's a disaster on such a scale. And the fourth problem was we replaced good quality building materials like solid timbers with this ridiculous artificial stuff and synthetic and engineered products and plastics. And of course, MDF and particle board is are like McDonald's for mold. Uh, you'll find most hardwoods are resistant to fungi because they contain resins naturally in it. But all this particle board we use in our cabinetry and in our um, many of our materials is pre they get rid of the lignans when they crush it into wood chips and then they use all these glues with low levels of formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen, glue it together and you get this cheap crap that we use. You get moisture on that for more than 48 hours, mould's going to rip through there very quickly because it's the perfect food for mould. That's why we call it Maccas for mould. Oh, I have a question. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. It was – I have so many questions for you after that, but I think – the question I have that's really burning at the moment for me is one in four people are sensitive to mould. Why? Is it genetic? No, it's more than that. It's a lot higher than that. We're, we're all sensitive to mould, but only one in four, one in four, 24% of the population can't create antibodies to mould. So they end up with the chronic fatigue symptoms, the fibromyalgia, the, you know, it's all in your head. I think most chronic fatigue sufferers, it's likely to be due to mould, at least in 60 70% from my experience, or high levels of electromagnetic fields, or exposure to pesticides is a big trigger to a lot of the CFS that I see. So when normal people, normal healthy people who can create antibodies to mould are in a water-damaged building, and let's face it, most of Australian housing stocks has some degree of dampness, you, they will get respiratory tract infections. So they'll go to the naturopath and say, I've got a cold again. Recurrent colds and flus that keep coming back and drag on is the first sign of mould. And that's what I was seeing, you know, nearly 30 years ago with my patients. They kept saying it's keep coming back. I've never been sick. And then I'll say, well, how long have you had it? It kept, you know, it started 18 months ago. What happened 18 months ago? I don't know. Did you move? Oh, yeah, I moved into this house. And that's when I started. When I started to take a better exposure history, realised Many of my patients with recurrent respiratory tract infections, colds and flus that kept coming back, dragging on, they were in these normally healthy people, they were in a mould environment. Those who can't create antibodies to mould, they often don't get the respiratory tract infections, they get the chronic fatigue. Can I ask you, Nicole, is the mould visible? Can you see it? No. Some, mm -hmm. of, some of the worst homes I've been in, I couldn't see it and I couldn't smell it. And I've had to, you know, they've, when I got the air samples back, I went, oh, my God, I should have been fully Tyvek suit, fully um, full-face respirator. So most of the time you can, and, in fact, in the scientific literature, even though we have access to thermal cameras and, and biopumps and ATP meters and all of these amazing things that we can assess a water-damaged building, because that's mainly what I do, is 
the most useful predictor for health effects due to a water damage building in mould is visible mould and odour. So every naturopath should be trained to ask, is there visible mould and or odour that you're aware of to the patient? And if there is, that is significant enough to that we know that that is strongly causative for asthma, allergies, pneumonia and respiratory tract infections. That's been well established in the scientific literature for you know at least 10 years now. What's new is that we've started realising certain gene types, one in four, can't create antibodies to mould and they're resulting in the chronic fatigue-like symptoms. So this is considered, you know how autoimmune disease seems to have gone up quite a lot yep. and everybody's been focusing on the gut. Can you now explain the correlation between the mould and the gut in a little bit more detail? Sure, okay. So you've got a client... They live in this, they've moved into this house which, which is water damage and they're not aware of it because, you know, you don't see the water event didn't happen. They didn't ask about the previous history of the home. They've gone in and they started to get tired. Fatigue is the first symptom. And they find that no matter how much they sleep, they're, they're always tired and they start sleeping during the day. Then they don't sleep very well at night and their sleep's disturbed. Then they start with um, fibromyalgic or poor circulation. Over time, they end up being having Raynaud's or hypothyroidism. It's like a type of thyroid condition that happens especially in women. That's not. It's related to reactive T3, I think it is, and it's like an autoimmune disorder. But it's not on the normal functional thyroid test that a normal GP would do. They wouldn't pick that up. So. What's happening is they're inhaling all of these biotoxins. The more moisture that sits on the surface, the more the bacteria and the fungi on the surface are producing all these chemicals into the air because they're trying to kill each other off to take over and decompose your house. That's what nature does. And as these toxins go in the air, what's happening is people are inhaling high levels of fungal particulate that can be spores, hyphae, which is the branches that the mould is releasing all the time. And on this hyphae and the spores have high levels of, of mycotoxins. And of course, the more water damage it is, the more bacteria producing endotoxins. So you're producing, you're inhaling all of these chemicals and these particulates that are triggering an immune response. Now, in one in four people, their immune system doesn't recognise it. So it sets up inflammation to get rid of it. What's happening is it's then affecting neuropeptides like melanocyte-stimulating hormone, and MSH is actually there to enhance, to impact the um, gut permeability. You have other neurotransmitters like vasoactive intestinal polypeptide, and as its name implies, it's intestinal polypeptide. It's a, it's a hormone, a neurotransmitter that is released from the hypothalamus in the brain that influences the gut permeability. Now, when you have this inflammation in the brain, it's suppressing these neurotransmitters that govern gut permeability. But also, when the body's trying to clear it, you're inhaling these fungal fragments and these chemicals, it's going to the liver, it's getting detoxed primarily through phase two sulfation pathways, it's clogging up, it's causing traffic jams in phase two, which means all of your natural catecholamines, your dopamine, your adrenaline, serotonin, can't get through. Ironically, it uses a very similar, the same pathway. So over time, these people get anxious, they get depressed, they're not sleeping well, and now they're getting um, mood disorders and potentially what we call mold rage or even psychosis and then diagnosed incorrectly with a mental illness when in fact it's a detoxification issue. 
because the detoxification pathway that all these biotoxins that you've breathed in are going through the liver and being detoxed through specific phase two pathways that your normal brain hormones go through and many of your environmental chemicals like pesticides some of them also go through many of the chemicals in your home solvents fragrances so suddenly they can't wear their perfume they normally wore because the they, they can't detox them. So when they wear their perfume, they're inhaling those chemicals and it can't get detoxed. So it's staying in the blood a lot longer and causing more damage to the central nervous system and to other parts of the body. So my hypothesis is looking at these symptoms, you can predict very accurately when people are exposed to mold because they start with these fatigue, they start with the sleep problems, they then get sort of muscular aches and pains like an arthritis, but it's not arthritis. And then they end up with these long-term fatigue and they start sleeping during the day and circadian rhythms are completely out of whack. Then they become chemically sensitive and then they become gluten intolerant. And the gluten intolerant episode that has escalated, my theory is it's due to the dampness because of the four reasons I explained as to why dampness in Australian homes has exploded enormously. So when you have increased gut permeability and you have all these toxins that the body's trying to dump in the bile, because once it goes through the liver, it then goes into the bile and dumped into the gut, which then affects the gut permeability and affects the gut uh, bacteria and it skews the gut microbiome. And because bile is 90% of it or more is recycled, they're recycling all those biotoxins back into the body and goes over and over and over again. They don't get better. So that's why the most useful medications that these few doctors who get what's going on, like cholestyramine, are binders, you know, like fibre but even stronger. They bind to the bile and because the bile is where all the toxins are being dumped and that's why by getting rid of the bile, they are able to help these patients. But, of course, if, if they still live in these water-damaged environments, which so many of us do, they're never going to get better. And I think this is the key that naturopaths need to understand, that if you don't get to the cause of the patient's problem, they're going to be on anti-candida diets and anti-this and anti-that for the rest of their life until you get to the cause. And that was my frustration as a naturopath. I'm giving shopping bags full of stuff to my patients and going, I'm not much better than a GP because I'm just treating symptoms and I want to know what the cause is. And I think now... 30 years down the track, I'm far closer to understanding what affects most of my patients with chronic illnesses than I ever did before. Okay, well, I'm stunned. <laughs> I, I, I just find, um, you know, with everybody we speak to, um, there, there's, there's something that's an undercurrent and that's the problem that's happening at the moment is um, we're not getting to that root cause all the time. No. So in order to, first of all, I guess, number one, we should have our homes tested. How do we do that? Well, the first thing is when you have a water event, which we all do, we all flood the bath. God, I flooded my laundry recently because I'm type A and I'm trying to do a million things at the same time while spilling my sink. <laughs> so, you know, it overflowed. Is to dry it up as fast as possible, preferably within 48 hours, and then we don't have a problem. When we're building, definitely get a building biologist involved because you know, this whole eight-star energy-rated sustainable homes, 
is actually what we're seeing at the ground level is more sickness in the newer homes, especially if they bring in new furnishings, which are mainly from Asia, full of formaldehyde because NICNAS doesn't govern. It doesn't regulate imported goods, but it regulates Australian manufacturers and there's hardly any Australian manufacturers making furnishings. So that was another issue I raised in the book. So it's really about getting people with mould to prevent moisture. Moisture is the key. The mould is not the problem because mould is everywhere fungi's everywhere. It's making sure that your house reflects a dry Mediterranean-like climate. Now, if you live in Sydney and the Gold Coast, etc., then the reason why you have more mould is because you have high levels of humidity. So therefore, you need dehumidifiers in the home. And this is also called an air conditioner. When the air conditioner is on, it's pulling moisture out of the air, it's preventing mould. But once you go on holidays and you turn the air conditioning off, all of a sudden you come back to a mould belt in your house. So you've got to have permanent dehumidifiers on uh, in order to pull the moisture and that will prevent mould in any tropical climate. So it's understanding where is the moisture from. Is it due to high humidity? Is it due to a water event? Is it due to inadequate waterproof membranes? Is it due to poor drainage? Because there is no drainage around the house because it was poorly built, which is what we find a lot. Is it because you have a flat roof and the flushing's coming up and there's no maintenance so moisture's getting through the roof? Or you don't clean your gutters? So there are many reasons how moisture can come into the environment and that's a big part of the work we do. But I have documented that in detail in my book to help people look at why it's important to keep a dry house to prevent these issues. Prevention is the key. I want to just ask you on a day-to-day basis. We all shower daily. We all create condensation and things in our shower. Um, Just very quickly, on a very superficial level, how do you keep your bathroom dry? Like is it good to wipe down the shower box after you've had your shower, maybe with a... um, you know, like those window cleaners, like get as much water down the drain as quickly as possible, try to avoid things sitting in pools. Is there any suggestions just around the room, like the bathroom that we spend so much time in? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it's simple. You need an exhaust fan that's exhausted, that exhausts the steam outside, not to the roof cavity. Because there's no requirements in the building code to, to exhaust the steam anywhere but the roof space, it's just an act of insanity. So as building biologists, we find high levels of moisture in the roof space and then, of course, it causes visible mould somewhere else in the house because it's travelling through the roof void. So the first thing is, and it cost me an extra $30 when I did my bathroom reno a couple of years ago, to get the plumber to get the exhaust fan and then get this flexible duct and poke it out through the roof with a whirlybird at top. So when when we have a shower, you can actually... You know, the steam goes outside, not into the roof board, and that cost me an extra $30. The other thing is is to open windows. If you're in Melbourne, you open windows because, of course, you've got high humidity as you're having a shower inside and it goes from high to low. So open up your doors, adjacent doors. Don't close it when you have a shower. You want this water vapor to move out the house so it dilutes in the process. Um, but the main thing is moisture, as you mentioned, Kim. As soon as you've got moisture on the surface of 48 hours, you're going to have visible. You're going to have microbes proliferating. So you'll often get a lot of small levels of mold between grout because no, very few people wipe the showers dry. In theory, that's what you should do with your squidgy or your windscreen wiper blade or your microfiber cloths and that would prevent the superficial mold you see in the grout because moisture is the key so once you get rid of that moisture and and get the kids to wipe the moisture off the shower you're not going to find that mold 
Does that mould cause health problems? Probably unlikely. It's when it penetrates the, the um, waterproof membrane and then gets into the wall cavity that it becomes more an issue. But the reality is if we do those daily little things quickly and easily, which seriously can take you an extra couple, maybe a minute yeah. after your shower. Um, do you know, I mean, I'm someone who loves the heat, Nicole, and I love the steam in a shower because I love the feeling of it on my skin and my face and everything. What's your thoughts then around um, if you do love the steam feeling or places, you know, you do actually enjoy that feeling, obviously then you ventilate as quickly as possible, extract a fan, etc. Is that the best thing to do? Yeah, because as soon as you have condensation, again, if the condensation or condensate sits there for more than 48 hours, you're going yeah. to have microbes starting to proliferate. So that's the key, understanding that moisture within 48 hours will allow the microbes already sitting on every surface of your house to proliferate. So the key is to reduce that water vapour. After you've had that episode of your steaming, etc then make sure it's exhausted to the outside preferably or if you can't do that because you're in a multi-storey apartment for example you might have a dehumidifier that you empty regularly to pull the moisture out of the air perfect can we change tangent into you mentioned essential oils which is something that i love very much and i know you're a big fan we talked briefly in the past around delimonene, which is in a lot of the citrus oils, which are high, wonderful degreases, if you like. They're, but they're very potent, aren't they? Could you talk to us a little bit about their effect? I know you mentioned it briefly, but just what that delimonene can do to the grout. Yes, so delimonene is one of the strongest natural solvents that we have in you know, your citrus peels, etc. But it is an incredible solvent. And as a result of that, it can compromise petrochemicals and your waterproof membrane is a petrochemical. So if you start spraying essential oils in the shower and it penetrates the grout, then you essentially can compromise your waterproof membrane to the point where you end up with moisture and, of course, then mould. So that's why delimonene is also a very strong sensitizer, which is why we've avoided it in all our cleaning product range abode because it sensitizes especially kids and, and causes skin irritation and eczema. So that's why I avoid citrus oils in the bath. You know, you can get that redness if you don't, you know, emulsify it with an emulsifier or milk or whatever fat you use for it. It causes skin reactions. It's very strong. Um, and that's a big reason why we've avoided all those citruses and, and especially anything with delimonene in any of our cleaning product range. Yeah, thank you for that. I want to ask you around, you know, if, if I'm in the home and I've got my kids and I've been using products for a while, what's the quick, can you give us your top tips on how to, I, I'm understanding about the moisture, but as far as, far as VO, you know, um, to offsetting, etc., with furniture, let's say you've just bought a whole lot of things. What are, you, what are you to do now you feel guilty and bad that you've done this, you've got your beautiful home, you've got your nice new furniture? I mean, what's a person to do when they think they've gone and done the right thing and they've saved hard for all of this? Yeah, yeah. Well, the good news is there's lots you can do. So if you haven't, if you bought it, I'd just say leave it in the factory longer for four to six weeks or eight weeks and let it outgas there instead of in your home. So if it hasn't been delivered yet, leave it there longer. The longer it's there, the more it outgasses. Um, if you have brought into the home, the quickest way to outgas is to put it into the sun and allow the UV and the, the the energy of the sun to allow to heat it up because as you heat up anything you have more 
volatility of the gases that are already within it, like your flame, you know, buy furnishings that doesn't have flame retardants that are made from wool, for example, or bamboo wool. There are some materials that they don't put flame retardants in, and that's a good option. Um, but definitely, if you've already bought it, uh, and look, this is where quite a bit of our work comes from the major retailers because people buy these furnishings, it comes home, they smell something and then they get up with these headaches or itching and it's often the formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen that's in high levels because formaldehyde is used a lot in the Asian market to prevent creasing. So it doesn't crease a lot of your blankets and, your, and um, other materials that are imported on the boat. So you want to make sure that you put it in the garage on a dry, hot day so it can outgas as much as possible. That would be the main thing I'd recommend um, in order to reduce your exposure to those VOCs. Now, ironically, the Asian people, a lot of them, when they buy new furnishings, they get a whole lot of tea leaves, dried tea leaves, and they scatter it throughout the whole house. <laughs> And that helps to absorb. I've never seen studies on how effective it is, but with our PID meters we use, it does reduce it. So um, I don't know what type of tea leaves they use, but they literally spring all over the house and the tea leaves absorb those VOCs. And that's an Asian method of helping to reduce those chemicals that are outgassing from their furnishings. I love it. Can we change um, track again? And can we talk, because you talked about when you realised what was happening in your home, that it wasn't just, you know, the mould and, and those things, but you talked about um, EMFs. Can we discuss that now? Sure. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, first have... of all, can we interrupt and say, what do you think of Dr. Jack <laughs> Cruz talking about light magnetism, water, and the whole thing around 5G? Give it to us. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to ask Ben. Yeah, well okay. <laughs> wow. Well, look, I'm I'm not familiar. I cannot. I haven't looked specifically in terms of his theories about its impact. However, I can talk from my research and the fact that I'm doing my PhD on wireless technologies and its impact on human health. So I can, I'll let you know what I know. And the first of those is that. The radiation used or the frequency of electromagnetic fields used in wireless technologies and cell phones was classified as possibly carcinogenic to humans by the World Health Organization in 2011. So there's enough data to say it's, we've got a problem, Houston, but we don't know how big that problem is. Now, rightfully so, Jack talked about melatonin and circadian rhythms, and one thing we do know about electromagnetic fields, and in particular radio frequencies used in wireless technologies, it's the quickest way to suppress melatonin, which is the most important anti-cancer hormone we have in the body. So exposure to blue light and exposure to these wireless technologies um, does suppress melatonin. It increases dramatically oxidative stress at a cellular level. And we know oxidative stress is very closely linked to inflammation. And of course, both of them are linked to aging and chronic illnesses, almost every chronic illness. So what we're finding is with EMFs is that it, it affects your ability to, it increases this oxidative stress and it increases, um, you know, your risk for many illnesses because melatonin is the anti-cancer hormone, it makes turmeric look like it's not doing anything. So we have these amazing antioxidant mechanisms within our body, but the quickest way to turn that one off is to actually be exposed to electromagnetic fields long term. Now the research, most of the research, there's lots of research, thousands of studies, but the research that's come from Russia that's recently been translated by Hecht in Germany, 
has been quite profound because their research showed that long, it's long-term exposure to low levels typically found in wireless technology that takes about 10 years before the symptoms start to develop. And it's like fatigue, headaches. Headaches is a key, especially in kids. You know, that's when you've got your wireless routers on in school and they're getting these frontal headaches. Um, you know, first thing I'm thinking of, is it the wireless technology? Where is the router or the boosters in their school? Because that's the, one of the first signs of electromagnetic sensitivity is this, these headaches. Then a fatigue and then long-term sleep disorders. And the same thing is mold. Sleep disorders, rainouts phenomena is really common, numbness and tingling in the, the fingers and the feet, etc. And then these autoimmune-based disorders. But it's long-term exposure to the low levels. And they're saying anything more than half an hour a day, especially the phone next to the head, increases your risks for brain tumours by 240% after 10 years if it's used directly on your head. That's why every mobile carrier now warns you not to do it because, you know, they, they um, prevent themselves being sued because none of the two biggest insurance companies in the world that actually provide the insurance for everyone else, the risk is Lloyds of London and Swiss Ray. They refuse to um, insure any of the telecommunications industry ever. So that's interesting. You know, who's going to take the brunt when, when that all comes out and starts to show that, yes, that's why the telecommunications warn you now so that, you know, the fourth dog defence. We've told you it's a problem. We've told you your cigarette smoking is a problem. Yeah, you can buy our product, but we already warned you so you can't sue us. And that's what's going on behind the scenes. So we know it affects melatonin. We know it affects a sleep and circadian. And, of course, then it affects the reproductive cycle without a shadow of a doubt. You know, puberty starts when melatonin drops. That's when children go into puberty. And what's happened is we've exposed them to wireless technology. It's almost from a simple perspective. It's like when you're using these wireless technologies, especially at night, it's tricking the body into thinking it's daytime. So the whole circadian rhythm is skewed. And that's one of the biggest problems apart from, you know, affecting sleep, which has multiple downstream effects. I could say so much more. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm so, not putting you in the same category as Jack, <laughs> but I'm just sitting here going, there is so much we don't know, Nicole, and so much that the everyday person is talked over or convinced that it's safe when people don't know. I'll give you an example. I just had a telecommunications person even talking with me today, and I turned around to her and I said, oh, oh, tell me, what do you think of the new 5G thing? And she goes, oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait for it to get here. And I said to her, but have you not read any of the research? Are you not looking at any of the petitions online? Have you heard Dr. Jack Cruz talk about it? Have you understood the implications this is having on our health, even short bursts and over a long-term accumulation effect? Are you any aware? And she goes, to be honest, this was her answer, to be honest with you, I think ignorance is bliss. I'd rather stay where I am. Wow. I mean, if she knew, she couldn't continue being employed by them. Because once you know, you can't unknow. But she didn't want to know either. Yeah. So I've been hearing a lot of, uh, like, there's petitions out there to stop the rollout of 5G. I've been reading information. I started watching a documentary. I couldn't keep watching it, Nicole. I, like, uh, maybe I did want to just put my head in the sand, but it was scaring me yep. about the megahertz, about the control, that that's how they control people in the Second World War. Can you tell us... Um, and scare the pants off us, why not? 
let's everybody sign this petition and maybe I'll put the petition in our show notes of what's going to happen. What are the, what's the likelihood of what's going to happen when 5G rolls out on every street corner in Australia? Okay. Before we do that, we need to look at what's going on in our home. Our hot, in terms of radio frequency exposure, because this is what we're talking about, radio frequencies, they're already in our homes. And the problems we face when we're going in as a building biologist is it's the clients buying this, the router and using these wireless devices and exposing themselves to high levels of radio frequencies. For example, in my, I'm doing a four-week study, double blind, on the impact of radio frequencies on human health. And you know which device I picked that had the highest levels of radiation than any other in the house was the baby monitor. What? Yes. It's about the same as what I get from a cell phone tower in terms of power output. Oh, my gosh. People don't know this. The, The problem is as building biologists, we're coming in and they're freaking out about smart meter and all these other things. And, yes, there's definitely issues where that is a problem. But most of the time it's the it's the consumer buying crap that they don't understand is causing their health effects. They are bringing it into their home and they are assuming, this is why in my book, the first thing is everything on the supermarket shelf, anything in the telecommunication stores has never been tested for its impact on human health. Unless you educate yourself, you can never make an informed choice. So when you go and buy wireless devices, you get the building biologist in because you're concerned about the high voltage transmission line. We're going to come in and go, you're sleeping next to the digital clock. You're sleeping near the meter panel. You put the router in this room and you're exposing your entire family to high levels of radiation, high levels. Let's start in your home, you buying stuff that is causing the problem. And that's a choice you've made blindly because you could not make an informed choice because you assumed wrongly that what you buy in any store has actually been tested. So we start from the inside because most of the ra- most of the radiation we find is in the house. This is why in my book I go, okay, you want to reduce exposure, don't blame anyone from outside. Let's start inside your house because that cordless phone is emitting high levels of radio frequencies 24 hours a day even when you don't use it. We'll pick it up three stories up, just your, your corded phone, and it's next to your bed. Of course you don't sleep. As a naturopath going in out of people's houses with infertility and sleep problems and there's cordless phones next to their bed. There's electric blankets there. They're sleeping on the other side of the meter panel. They've got their their TV inside their bedroom. Like, you know, this is the issue. Let's start close to home. Let's forget the 5G rollout. 5G will affect, look, that's a big problem, no doubt about it. Will it affect all of us equally? Definitely not. Depends on how close you are to those cells, for example. But... I'm still going to go in as a building biologist and go, this house is mainly a problem because you have brought these devices in and it's affecting your health and I'm educating them. This is why you should not be using this. This is an alternative to a cordless phone. When you use your cell phone, and I love my cell phone, don't ever put it next to your head. Don't carry it on your person. You must have a, a cord, you know, a um, earpiece when you're using or use text or use a loudspeaker but don't ever put it near your head and don't carry it on your in your pockets like men do so i'm i'm still going to go with the whole 5g and go people are more likely to be affected by what's happening in their house before you even look at the 5g nicole how do these companies get away with it if the science is there and it's been there for some time okay so in the first chapter i talked about why we need to act and i talked about can we can we just talk about the title of your book healthy home healthy family Thank you. And it's been out since when? First edition was 2010 and this one came out last year. It's brilliant. Carry on. It started with the true cost of progress and the fact that 
you know, when I started my PhD, I looked at how chemicals are um, regulated and realised they're not regulated. Public health is actually a misnomer. It's a compromise between manufacturers and industry, what's practicable in a workplace. So we don't even have exposure stands for chemicals or EMFs inside a house. They don't, that actually doesn't exist. So when it comes to the four dog defence, I talked about asbestos, I talked about lead petrol, talked about PVC, um, I talked about all those things that we know cause cancer now. But it took years because you've got the tobacco industry providing all these marketing campaigns and encouraging doctors to smoke in front of their patients like my doctor used to when he was burning my warts off, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, it's these marketing campaigns that are giving people misinformation because the longer that product stays on the market, the more billions it creates. So you know, even if we put 10% towards lawsuits, that's nothing compared to the dividends for shareholders. So the first chapter was my dog doesn't bite. Industry completely denies their product is harmful. Why? Because they don't have to prove it's safe. And that's the big problem. And I'll give you lots of examples. The next one is my dog bites, but it didn't bite you. Industry concedes because people start researching going, hang on a minute, we think tobacco smoke's a problem, um, that their product may be harmful when the evidence becomes too great. But don't worry, the average person's not exposed because we have exposure standards. But they don't tell you the exposure standards are not health-based standards. So then we have industry creating organisations like Safe Building Alliance that was established by the asbestos companies or um, Forest Protection Society, which was set up by the Australian timber industry or pharmaceutical sponsorship of breast cancer so we can funnel more funds into getting drugs for breast cancer without actually looking at what the hell is causing breast cancer now. All the hormone-disrupting chemicals that were released, you know, since the 1970s, etc. Um, then my dog bit you, but it didn't hurt you. Industry admits people are exposed but armed harm because it's within, you know, particular standards. And then they employ scientists to fiddle with the data and that's easy to do. They also, because they fund the research, they don't have to publish it. So the research might show, yep, it's a real problem, but, you know, we sponsored it, we're not going to publish it. Just to give you an idea in terms of the Australian exposure standards, in the 1990s the CSIRO was commissioned by um, the Vodafone, Telecom before it became Telstra and Optus to look at the impact of wireless technology on the Australian public. In 1994, that, that uh, report was published. It was called the Barnett Report by Stan Barnett and it was in, developed by uh, the Radio Frequency Division of the CSIRO, who were mainly electrical engineers. When that report was published, uh, the telecommunications industry said we're not making that public because it it voiced its concern about the exposure of wireless technology to the Australian public and especially children. Even then, in 1994, they had some research and those researches were subsequently made redundant within three years and that whole radio frequency division of the CSIRO was shut down. I mean, this is right in our backyard. So if you look at um, Dr Don May, she did his PhD on how exposure standards for electromagnetic fields are set, especially in the telecommunications industry, and it reads like a Bollywood film because there's trillions involved. So one of the most clever things the Australian government did is say to Australian families, here, come and have shares in, Tel in Telstra. Like, you know? It's, it's smart, I guess. It's very smart. And, of course, when they realise that there is enough evidence to say it causes adverse health effects, which is where we're really coming to with a wireless technology, is that my dog bit you and it hurt you, but it wasn't my fault, it's yours, because I warned you in your phone not to put it near your person so you can't sue me. That's the way the industry works. Nicole, I think it was the early 60s, 1962, a woman called 
Rachel um, Carson wrote the book Silent Spring where she really focused in with her passion around environmental conservation and I remember her real big thing and where it started a whole movement was the banning of DDT. Um, There was a whole conversation back in the 60s around toxic substances and how we tried to create new reforms and things like that. Then from my understanding and what I've read, I think it was something like 60 or 70,000 chemicals that were known on the market but hadn't been tested because it was too big. And correct me if I'm wrong, there was a grandfather clause that allowed them all just to be swept in. What, can you explain to us this and how we just keep seeing to sweep things under the carpet until there's a real major issue worldwide? Why is this? Well, because we live... I'm not anti-capitalism, but capitalism is about dividends for shareholders. That's what it's about. So CEOs are employed to get dividends for shareholders, and that often comes at the cost of human health, unfortunately. In terms of toxicants and chemicals, man, toxicants are man-made chemicals. There's over 145 million chemicals registered for use on the world's largest database, the Chemical Abstract Service. That's what you see the CAS number when you look at a safety data sheet, Chemical Abstract Service. Every 60 seconds, another 20 chemicals are registered for use, and that's about 200,000 new chemicals every week. They include both natural and synergistic and man-made chemicals. Um, Of the man-made portions, 90% have never been tested for its impact on human health because the burden of proof isn't on manufacturers to prove it's safe. The burden of proof isn't on the telecommunications to say, hey, check if the cell phone is safe before you release it to the market or check if 5G is safe before you release it. It, it doesn't work that way. The, this, the system doesn't work that way. As building biologists, we say precautionary principle. If there's any evidence to say it could cause harm, we need to stop research before we launch it. But that's not the way Western countries work. And being a manufacturer of cleaning products myself, we sold a house to create the range. Um, but it just shows so clearly there is no regulation. You can do whatever you want. And people are going to have to spend money to sue you or to prove otherwise. Um, so we'll keep it in the market for God knows how long. It's, it's not right. And, of course, with cleaning products, you don't even have to list your ingredients. The, what we're finding is a lot of the toll manufacturers, you know, what they're saying, they make, there are a, few, a handful of toll manufacturers who make most of the cleaning products and personal care products in Australia, and they are not doing the right thing by their businesses. What you think is in that bottle on the supermarket shelf in your moisturiser, shampoo, conditioner, and what's in the bottle is is likely to be very different. Because when the toll manufacturers get your product, like they did with us when we first started, here are all the ingredients. We gave it all. This is laundry powder. It's for someone with severe chemical sensitivities and um, eczema. It came back and it had blue flecks around. It, they contaminated it. They said, well, we don't clean out every batch. It's too time-consuming. So whatever the previous batch was, we'll leave it there and we'll just add your ingredients to it. And that's the majority of people in the industry because very few people can afford to manufacture, actually have a manufacturing facility to produce their own skincare. That's why you've got to be very careful if you have your own skincare or cleaning products and you're not actually making it yourself because the reality is what's going on out there is very different to what people think it is. And that's why we end up selling the house to create this manufacturing facility because the quality control could not be assured. Well done. It's massive. Mm. Do you think organic has any substantiation over all of this? Is that something that we can feel a bit more confident in? The, I know that there's a lot of you know, hype around it, particularly in the beauty and the food industry, but is, there, is that at least somewhere for the everyday person to, to look yeah, to? Yeah, 
absolutely. You re- and the good news is reducing toxic load starts with knowledge and ends with knowledge. So, pest, you know, going pesticide-free organic is so important because pesticides are antibacterial. So when you ingest pesticide-laden food, you're potentially affecting your gut microbiome, which we know is where your health begins. So, so important. When it comes to products that use plants, and this is the interesting thing, cleaning products, most of the cleaning uh, ingredients don't come from plants. So saying it's certified organic is meaningless because soda, ash, etc., which you need, etc., in bicarb soda, etc., isn't actually a food. It's not a plant. So it's not it's useful to say it's organic or certified organic. That's where the environmental working group is useful because it's rating it based on their scale, um, regardless of whether it's a plant source or not. That's why we don't have certified organic on our cleaning products because most of the ingredients don't come from plants. What is important is that it's food grade. Food grade bicarb is very, very different to normal bicarb because bicarb is contaminated with all these toxic metals, etc. And unless they actually purify that and filter that out, then you're going to be absorbing that you know, um, you know, as a result of that. So that's why food grade ingredients is such an important part of how we process and market our cleaning product range because the toxic metals in soda, ash, bicarb, zeolites is enormous. Can you keep going through the chapters in your book just so that we get an understanding of what you talk about in the book? Yeah, I love the dog. I yeah, just me too. I love how you've some, done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah poor dog defence. So yeah. basically, it looked... It all comes back to knowledge and it's really about um, I focus on why we need to act in the four-dog defence and provide examples in, in human history where environmental toxicants have had devastating impacts on human health. I've mentioned them as asbestos, lead dust, which is still a problem in many homes, um, tobacco smoke, for example, PVC, lead or petrol. Um, and then I talk about the genes and where they play a role. And when I uh, interviewed the top environmental medical doctors as part of my PhD, who specialise in chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, the genes, they aren't really as important as I think many people put them at. And the reason is because the environment is becoming so toxic. It doesn't matter your gene, well, it does, your gene profile because eventually you all get affected. The people now being born have so many more hundreds of chemicals in their body than their parents did because it's happening through the placenta, it's happened with changes in farming practices. So we all need to reduce our toxic load and the good news is we can do that with knowledge. First of those you mentioned, Kim, was organic diet, definitely critical. Many of my patients with chronic chemical sensitivities, fatigue syndromes, they have to go organic. Um, They need to get that shit off their face. Part of my French, that's my next book. Personal care, moisturisers. Every time you put a moisturiser on that is stabilised, with um, that has water in it, you have to have a preservative. What's a preservative? It's a pesticide. What's a pesticide? It's antibacterial. So you're killing off the natural antibacterial, the bacteria, Staphylococcus, Pseudomonas, Micrococcus on your skin that is there to detoxify stuff before it even gets into your body. So that's why I don't put any creams. I don't use sunscreen. I use nada on my body except jojoba oil, macadamia nut oil, um, occasionally, very rarely if, you know, I've had a bit of sun exposure. That's about it. And coconut oil to get rid of my mascara, which is the only thing I wear. Um, so it's really important that it, it needs to be in its natural state. It, sh- it shouldn't have any preservatives on it. Otherwise, it affects your skin microbiome, which is really important. It's looking at cookware, you know, how to cook your food in a way that you're not exposed to those fluorinated chemicals um, or 
often used in flame retardants as well. So your non-stick cookware, make sure you have a ceramic base, not that other PFOA stuff. Your building materials, you know, go to natural products as much as possible. Cleaning products, microfiber cloths will do most of the cleaning. Yes, you do need a detergent and that alone for people who are highly chemically sensitive is probably all they can use. Um, food packaging and bottles, plastics, there's no place for plastics, but don't throw out your plastics. Use them, you know, to collect your sewing pins and put your tools in or your pencils and put your oats in or your grains because they're not going to react to the plastics. But don't store or f don't freeze or heat any food in plastics. And God's sake, don't use a microwave oven for, you know, because it kills off the natural bacteria on the food, which is critical to program your gut how to digest that food. When it comes to hair products, try I dye my hair and that's the one thing that I know the peroxide isn't good, but that is a, a, an informed choice that I make. I don't have toxic load in any other parts, but I choose because I know what I'm putting on. I've looked at the safety data sheets and I'm willing to take the risk. Just like when you jump in the car, you know you could die, but you wear your seatbelt, your engineer, you know, the car is such that it has safety features. So this is my whole... Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. Just wanted to have something here. That yes, was good. Yes. So, but it's about informed choice, and this is the key. It's not about getting everyone freaked out about EMFs and chemicals, etc. It's saying, okay, to make an informed choice, you need to have this knowledge, and once you have the knowledge, what you do is completely up to you. I'm not going to judge you for it or not. As I said, I dye my hair. I do wear, you know, I wear essentials as perfumes occasionally. I love that. Um, but people who are ultimately chemically sensitive, the book is really designed for them how to live still in this world and a technological world while still being able to manage their health, which more and more people are unable to do. You said something a while ago which I'd love to reinforce, um, and I think you'll agree that we cannot help necessarily when we're outside in an office building, in a hospital, all the chemicals and the EMFs and all the other things that could become or can, can be considered toxicants and things like that that we have in and around us. I've heard and read that even when they've measured the blood in the umbilical cord of polar bears from perhaps some of the most cleanest places on the planet, there are still chemicals. So it's obvious we cannot avoid it on planet Earth. But your important point that you're making is that you can make a huge difference in the home. And for that, I think your book is one of the most must-haves for every single person uh, living and breathing on this planet, at least to help eliminate, if not bring down, the amount of chemicals that we're exposed to in the home. Is there anything from your point of view that the everyday busy home, the, the mum and dad, both full-time working, what would be your tips around protecting our children a bit more? Well, the first thing is the sleep. Because if you don't get sleep, everything suffers. So sleeping is so critical. And we know 40% of Australians, based on the recent parliamentary inquiry, don't sleep very well. So this is a huge problem. We start with the bedroom. So get rid of any appliances in the bedroom. Um, if you have a digital clock, then, you know, if the light from that LED, not good because of the blue light. So I just have a little battery-operated, my little alarm clock, and I don't have any appliances in the bedroom, and I certainly don't charge my phone in the room. Um, make sure that on the other side of the wall of the bed there's no appliances and certainly no smart meter or inverter from solar panels. That's not great because it's a high magnetic field. Don't have... Get rid of perfumes to the four Ps. Perfume, plastics and pesticides are the big ones in terms of its impact from a man-made chemicals. They're the worst. So, you know, try and minimise 
um, perfumes, go essential oils in your jojoba oil base. That's much, much better than using any perfume because most of them are hormone disruptors. Air fresheners avoid, and for God's sake, pesticides, don't spray your house with fly spray and all these chemicals. In my book, I go into detail. The pests are there because you've got moisture, you've got food, and you've got an entry into your house. So you address those three simply, then often you find that they're not going to be such a problem, if at all. So also in terms of how you use the devices, um, making sure if you're going to go wireless, go hardwired if you can, and cabled if possible, and don't put the phone near your head. Always take your shoes off before you go inside because you're tracking all the pesticides from around the planet and that's what you mentioned in the Antarctica. You've got in the Arctic, the polar bears have detectable levels of DDT um, because the wind distributes all these pesticides. I would have to say the big change in human health happened when we changed farming practices from into chemical pesticides because chemical pesticides are antibacterial and that's when our gut microbiome and autism increased and all of these other ADHD disorders. So take your shoes off before you come inside and really think about what chemicals you bring in. Do you really need it? Go with your microfiber cloths to clean the house as much as possible. Don't put crap on your body unless it's still in its natural state like the oils that I mentioned. And really, you know, question everything and start reading widely. Don't, don't think about all the propaganda and the marketing, all the BS. Turn the TV off and uh, go onto the internet on PubMed and, or Google Scholar and just search perfume and have a look at get quality information to educate yourself and your kids. Because nowadays our kids are in, inundated with information as opposed to us, which it was just the World Book Encyclopedia. Now you have to teach them critical thinking. Um, it's a very different world parenting now as it was, you know, 30 years ago or so. So they're simple things. Open up your windows to get, make sure you use the sun to dry out your materials and to clean and get rid of the dust mites on your mattresses, air them out regularly. Simple things like that make huge differences to people's health. Almost like I could be reading, I've got a book here called Frankly Feminine from the 1950s. And I can honestly say to you, most of everything you've just said, except obviously there wasn't any conversations in there around um, EMFs, but oh my gosh, most of that is in my Frankly Feminine book from the 1950s. See, what I'm saying is nothing new at all. It's just common sense, I think. (laughs) But I also think that it's becoming more concentrated, you know, like... You know, you can't avoid this stuff. It's there. It's out there. It's in the Antarctic. It's in the Arctic. So it's in your backyard. So I, I think it's that's what's happening and we just have to be more vigilant. Maybe that's what people have to realise is that, that you've got to be very vigilant about your food, about what you put in your skin, what you bring into your home, you know, and all the things that you have been talking about. And if we become more vigilant, Maybe we can make a difference in our own family's health. And that's, I think, what's important. You know, start in the home first because that's, like you said, don't worry about what's outside. Start in your home first. And I I couldn't agree with you more. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, we spend 90% of our time or more inside the building virus. This is where we start. Where you spend time, that's where we start. And it's it's not rocket science. It's just reducing your toxic load, reducing this consumerism of buying stuff all the time that's polluting our planet. I think because we have so many more chemicals, you're right, Cindy, we do need to reduce our toxic load because eventually it affects all of us. It's affecting our fertility and reproduction. It's affecting our kids' learning, etc. So we need to start um, making common sense decisions and not bringing it into the home, you know, going back to basics. Mm, agreed. 
Um, Nicole, I write notes whenever I have someone, when we interview people and Curiously, she does, by the way, Nicole. (laughs) I took pages. I just want you to know there's been 17 pages I have written (laughs) since you have been talking. So I just, oh, my gosh. Cindy, what's your biggest take-home from what beautiful Nicole said so far? Because, oh, my gosh, there's so much more. I knew you were going to ask me, and I've been trying to think because there's so much. I know. But I think the most important thing is be informed I think that that's a really critical thing. And don't blame everything out the house, outside of the house. Look inside the house as to what you have purchased. I loved that one. Um, and we have a problem, Houston, but we don't know how big it is. I, 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 that really hit me because we know we do. We just don't know how big it is. But if we become informed and we become critical thinkers, then I, I believe that as an individual who runs a family, we can help our family. And I think that that's our biggest strength. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I agree. Thank I you. think I think from my point of view, just <laughs> even going back to small things like actually the biggest thing for me is keeping the house as dry as possible. I think that was a really a big thing. I mean, it's obvious, but I do believe that I've taken it for granted and I myself have become a bit slack with that, I have to be honest. And I don't wash my bathroom down every every two days, so I no, think I that's don't either Kim. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think it was really cool what you were talking about um, the fact that how closely related or how much mold is having an effect on our microbiome. And I think the thing that I love about mm. Cindy is whenever she is talking or asking or researching something, she's always asking the root cause. And I think that's something why I have such a girl crush on both of you is because you are always going, but why, but why, but why? And there's never an ending thing. And I, I just want to take my hat off to you, Nicole, because personally to have someone like you trailblazing in this area, also as a mum, also as a woman who obviously is on a mission to support people. I didn't realize your education program has been around since 1999 which means you've been on this path for a hell of a long time Mm. I would say you've probably only just started to get some recognition for all of this work so can I just high five you and say thank you for being so ferocious in creating a pathway for us that are simply being subjected to the everyday people telling us everything's safe so I think I'd be safe to say that, Cindy, wouldn't I, that we're both incredibly grateful and Karen for what you're doing and cannot wait to hear. Can I just ask you, what's the outcome with your PhD? What are you hoping to achieve with that? To finish it. (laughs) (laughs) I do that with every PhD student. (laughs) Finish the damn thing, yeah. I've already published a bit on the impact of chemicals and which chronic illnesses they're related to. And I speak a lot here and overseas about that work and also how doctors deal with chemicals in their body. And ironically, the, the interesting thing about that was it wasn't a lab test that was useful. It was actually them taking a proper environmental exposure. History was the most important tool that they all agreed on as to identifying these chemicals in their patients asking the right questions and enough questions. So my supervisor and I are about to launch Healthy Home Survey, which will allow people to take a health questionnaire and the home survey, and then we'll have algorithms built in to be able to identify based on your response, you need to check for mould or do this in the house or chemicals, etc. So it's taken us a Yay. while. Yeah. 
there. That's the exposome, isn't it? That's us thinking about our exposomes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, my gosh, Nicole, as soon as that's done, can you please make sure that we know about it? I certainly will. And, look, there's a lot of information, videos and simple things for the public on my website that okay. um, to help them navigate all this complex stuff. Can you please tell us... Um, can I just ask you very quickly, if someone has any questions or concerns around the health of their home, their family, they're noticing their children are complaining of sore muscles, they're tired, they're not sleeping, they're talking about some of the symptoms that you've been already speaking about, is there the, what's the first port of call? Where do we go? Well, most 95% of all questions I get they would have been answered in my book because all the symptoms of all the stuff related to chemicals, EMFs, and allergens are in my book. So the big ones are asthma, allergy, autoimmune diseases, and sleep disorders. They are the, the most common illnesses that are created from health hazards in the built environment. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And if there was one uh, last message you'd love to say to our beautiful listeners, who I would love to say to you are very educated. They've been following us on a six-year journey, beautiful Nicole. Um, and we're just, I'd love you. What's your final message to our beautiful listeners? And to read. You know, don't take, turn the TV off. That would be my final message, turn the TV off. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a bad one. Don't believe the ads. You know, when the ads go on, my, my kids go, okay, what are they trying to sell kids? Let's get on PubMed and see whether that ac that's accurate about antibacterials because it's not. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? What's your website, sweetheart? It's buildingbiology.com.au. And I've got a free Healthy Home newsletter that I, that I provide every month. That's brilliant, can I just add. And also your book, is it available on that website or is it available anywhere else? Yeah, it's available on the website. You should be able to get it through your local bookstore or order it in. Otherwise, it is on my website as well. I, I now need to update that because the minute your first one came out, I think I got one of your original copies. And I will send you a copy, girls. Oh, my gosh. I would. Oh, my gosh. Thanks. Yes, oh, my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> you know Can we give away one for one of our listeners? Yes. Let's give away two. Let's give away two. Great. We'll do that oh when, your, when your podcast comes out. We'll, they'll have to listen to it and we'll ask them a question. How's Good that? Idea. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, Nicole. Cindy, anything else you'd like to ask or say to our beautiful guest before we say farewell? Oh, I could talk to Nicole forever. I could listen to her forever. And, and if I did, we'd never get off the phone and <laughs> have dinner, breakfast, lunch, sleep, you know, clean our mould off our showers or anything like that. So <laughs> no, I, I think this has been an amazing podcast um, filled with information. I'm going to have to go and listen to it again and I can hardly wait to get my book. Oh, look, I agree. And Nicole, thank you. I mean, we haven't even got into your conversations and the, and the companies that you work with and for and the Mind Foundation and all the different things that you're a part of. But please, listeners, go to her website um, and follow Nicole. Are you on Instagram or Facebook as well? Yes, I am. On both? Yep, on both. Yep. They're in the show notes. I have them That's in the show all right, beautiful girls. Well, I'm sure, listeners, you'll all agree that, Nicole, you can understand why we've been dying to get her on the show and how much we look up to, respect her, and wholeheartedly admire her. She's been a friend of ours, and we're all proud to say that we've spoken and shared the same stage as her, none more proud than myself. I'm not a scientist, Nicole, but I'm really passionate as a mum to create an environment and a, and a planet 
that our children and grandchildren, future generations can certainly feel confident that they're safe and, and it's thanks to a woman like you that we really truly do have some hope. So thank you on behalf of humanity, as Karen would say. Oh, thank you. You're amazing and thank you for your knowledge. Listeners, if you have any questions, thoughts, feedback, please go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat or you can go to our Facebook page even better, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Please post your comments and please, if you truly believe like we do that the messages and the beautiful souls that we get to interview on this program, that it's important to get this information out there, then please head to iTunes give us a five-star rating, and more importantly, all that does is help push us up the, the search channels, by the way. More importantly, if you just shared the podcast, that would mean the world to Cindy, Karen, and I. In the meantime, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Go and switch those bloody Wi-Fis off. Go and look after yourselves. Stop putting crap on your skin. Make sure you eat organic food. Put things in the sun if you're not sure of the off-gassing. Off Make sure you read Nicole's book and together I'm sure we can all become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you next week. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.